from the New York City area, welcome to the Badass Counseling Show, where the master badass himself, Sven Erlinson, takes you deep and gives balm for the soul, baby. It's a great day to be alive, and it is a great day to be at the Badass Counseling Show. To all of you tuning in around the world from Joliet, Illinois, to Juneau, Alaska, from Toronto to Oahu, and from Ischia to Israel. It's great to have you tuning in. We love it that you're here with us, and we love our guests who tune in and call up and share their stories with us. I'm joined in studio today by KC over in the booth, and she's waving a hearty hello to each one of you, and Rob the Rocket sitting next to me. Rob, how are you today? I'm okay. I'm waving at you too, but you can see me more clearly. Uh-huh. So you can believe it. Indeed. I'm happy you- to see you. And they all listening need to use their imaginations. We are joined in studio by Carly, the studio cat. She wanders around here, sometimes walks right across the production board. I don't... <laughs> I don't know how you keep your sanity, Rob, with Carly the cat walking around. It's it's a challenge. Well, you're a better man than I am. Not that that's news to any of us. We have an interesting show today, Rob. You and KC have lined up uh, some fascinating guests today. Let's just dive right in. Will you go ahead and read the paragraphs that were sent in by Amanda and Faith? All right, Sven, here we go. First, Amanda said, "Uh, Hi, Sven. I found you through my current partner, who is also my ex-husband. I'm reading through your book and journaling and doing the exercises as I can. I'm also going to therapy. I did a lot of harm to my partner while we were married and even after we got back together. I cheated on him early on and had an emotional affair later on. In the emotional affair, I became so detached I wanted to leave him and the kids behind, but also didn't want to leave the security behind. I still have trouble holding myself accountable with a lot of these things. How can I really start holding myself accountable for the messed up things I've done in the past and make sure I don't repeat the past? And then we heard from Faith, who said, I found out my husband had been cheating on me. I caught him talking to her on his phone in our shed. We are trying to work on things, but I'm really struggling with the deep pain and afraid to trust anything he says because of all the lying and my own fears of rejection and abandonment. We are both working on your video program. He was recently a guest on your podcast. I am hoping you can help with my recovery. Faith, Amanda, lovely to have you on the show. How are you today? I'm good. Doing all right. Doing all right, and you're good. Well, I'm glad to hear it, Faith. Glad to hear it, Amanda. Let's go ahead and dive right in. I have to know, Faith, uh, you said your uh, husband um, was on our show. And for our listeners, uh, your husband, uh, his name is? Phil. Phil, yes. Phil Phil was on our show. And you said that you found your husband had been cheating on you. I caught him talking to her on his phone in our shed. Um, How long before we taped that episode of the show was it that uh, you caught Phil on the phone uh, cheating? I think it was around two months, two and a half months maybe. Okay. Okay. Where I want to start, I actually want to start with you, please, Faith. Um, You had said, I'm really struggling with the deep pain and I'm afraid to trust anything he says because of all the lying and my own fears of rejection and abandonment. Just so I'm clear, to the best of your knowledge, uh, you found out in May that your husband had been cheating on you. Is that the only time that you know of that your husband has cheated on you? That I know of. Okay, fair enough. And you said, afraid to trust anything he says because of all the lying and my own fears of rejection and abandonment. I want to ask you this. What would, if uh, you were rejected, if you were open up and trust and you were rejected and abandoned, what would you feel? Give me feeling words. What would you feel if you were rejected and abandoned by him after opening up and trusting Betrayed, hurt, <clears throat> scared. <laughs> and what would you be most scared of? And it's an honest question. Maybe a dumb question, but it's an honest question. Yeah. Betrayed, hurt, and scared. What would you be most scared of? I guess being alone. Mm. And and I'd feel stupid. I don't know if stupid's a feeling word. But. It absolutely <laughs> is. Yeah, and you'd feel stupid because why? Because I believed him and because al- I allowed myself to believe him, I guess. And it, I have to believe that feeling stupid would feel worse 
after he had cheated once that you know of, and then you go back. And if he were to betray you or leave you or something uh, in the future, you would feel even worse because, gee, I saw the sign. He cheated. Why didn't I leave him then? That sort of thing, right? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And you said you're scared of being alone. And what is it about being alone that terrifies you the very most? I really don't know because I've been alone before and um, after a long, bad marriage and I spent about a year alone and I actually liked it. So I, and I, 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 fair I, enough, fair I enough. And yet the rejection, I think it's more the rejection. rejection. And, and what yeah. is it about rejection that hurts so much? What's the underlying message that you receive when you are rejected? What does it feel like when someone rejects you, when a lover, when if your husband re, were to reject you, and in a way, he already did reject you. And that's what cheating yeah. is. It's the rejection of you and the embracing of someone else. So what do you feel? What Give me another feeling word for rejected. Insignificant. Insignificant. Unimportant. Unimportant. Um, not enough. Not enough. And of insignificant, unimportant, and not enough which of those resonates inside of you as like, oh, like the worst for you personally? Maybe insignificant, I guess. In your life, when was it that you most felt insignificant other than this event? I think I've felt like that in every relationship I've been in. Um, Why is I've, that? I don't. Why I've is always that? chosen people that are not that are not emotionally available, that need help, that need, you know, like. And just out of curiosity, why would you, and I'm not in no way disparaging you, Faith, in no way, please. I'm, I'm, but let me ask this question. You said, I've always chosen in every relationship, people who disparage me. What, what do you think it is? Why do you think that has kept happening? Or why do you think it happened in the first place? Why do you think that might be? Maybe the need to feel needed. Okay. Okay. Yes. Okay. And so when you feel needed, in other words, somebody really has a lot of needs, has a lot of wants, and you're happy to step in and meet those needs. And why would that cause you to feel insignificant? Wouldn't that make you feel significant? At first. And then what yeah. happens? Then what happens? And then my needs aren't being met. Right. I'm so busy giving, giving all of giving, myself giving. and that my needs aren't even noticed. Right. Right. And, and, I, and I don't know if you've read my book or not, but that's where I talk about the relationship camel, that they, they only need a little bit of love and they can go a long ways, but you're not even going a little bit. I'll give you all this. I'll give you everything. Just give me a little bit of love. I can go a long distance on a little bit of love, but you're not even giving that. Right. And so, of course, you feel insignificant and in every relationship. But the fact that it's every relationship seems to imply to me that there was something in your conditioning that led you to believe either this is all I deserve or this is how life is. I have to give and give and give and I, can, I can't really stand up for myself and expect it in return. The only right. way I can get is just by giving. Does that maybe sound like it might resonate? It resonates. I'm still trying to figure out where it came from. I mean... Well, it would seem that it came from obviously your, it was my childhood. Yeah, your but, childhood that that you yeah. were expected to give and give and give that your worth was tied up in giving, or that somebody else was more important than you, and you got the message I'm not important, and the only way I'm going to get love is either to be perfect or get positive attention is to do for other people or something along those lines. Is that what? It might there have been some of that. Yeah, honestly, I don't remember much of my childhood, okay. and. One of the things that I'm trying to figure out in your in your book or mm -hmm. in one of your classes, mm -hmm. um, when you stop twirling, mm -hmm. I'm not sure that I ever twirled. <laughs> oh wow! So that means it started very very young. The messages of you know of self loathing and you're no good or you're not wanted or something along those lines. Would that be reasonable to assert? Yeah, and yeah. I mean, I'm crying. I'm sorry. No, that's that's lovely. <laughs> Thank you for trusting us with your tears. So my parents were 16 when they had me. So uh -huh. they were kids. Uh -huh. um, there was not a lot of um, security, I guess, or mm -hmm. these are the things I remember later in my childhood. I never felt safe. Mm. Right. Um, right. And so it makes sense then as a child, especially if you feel like you have no worth, what do you do? You try to do everything you can to try, you know, if you've been taught from a very young age, you have no worth, you're gonna try everything you can to be nice and do everything for what everyone else 
wants. Just give me a little bit of love. Just give me a little bit of love. I want to I want to flip it over to Amanda here. First of all, I want to thank you, Amanda, for your candor. Your just wow. You told us so many things that, if we're being really honest, they make you look horrible. You chose to tell us things that really make you look bad. You know that, right? Oh, I'm aware. Oh, I, and and I have to say. I'm really grateful that you trusted us enough to to share things that didn't make you look good. You know, and and you even say it's almost like, well, let me ask you, why did you tell us these things? That I cheated on him early and then I had an emotional affair later and I've done a lot of harm to him and uh you know, in the emotional affair, I became so detached I wanted to leave him and the kids but didn't want to leave the security behind, you know, so clearly he or they gave you security you really put it out there and you're like beating yourself up or not even that. You're just putting it all out there. You're not trying to hide some of the bad stuff. And so I, I got to ask, why did you do that? Or why do you think you, you put it all out there like that? Why would you tell us all of that? Because my pain has gotten bad enough that I want the help and I want to get better. And the only way that that's going to happen is if I just get it out. Fair enough. Your pain has gotten bad enough. In what form? Has it gotten the worst? You said, my pain has gotten bad enough. What form has your pain gotten that it's it's so bad that you just want to get help somehow? Loneliness. Mm. And even, uh, we were married for 10 years before we separated. We detached probably around after we had our second kid. Okay. He worked a lot. I did the stay-at-home mom thing for a little while. He ended up starting to have seizures uh, mm. at one point mm. that we had to flip, and I had to go back to work full-time, and he stayed home. Uh-huh. And just the gap got so much worse, and that was when the emotional affair happened. And the gap between the two of you, you mean? Mm-hmm. Okay, let me ask you this. So you did all of these really hurtful, even cruel things to your, he, well, he's, you say he's your current partner and he's also your ex-husband. You did all these yeah. cruel things. I'm just going to ask you flat out, why were you so cruel? Where the hell does that come from? That is what I am still trying to figure and out. And I want you to, I want you to take a shot at it. Just take a, your best guess at what it might be, knowing that tomorrow you can change your mind. Hell, you can change your mind in 10 minutes. I have no problem with that. I just want you to spitball it. What might it be? I have thought it over a lot. Mm-hmm. And the only thing that I can come up with is he was the one that was different. I went through, before I met him, I went through a string of guys that were trash. Mm-hmm. They treated me like crap. Um and then I found him, I was 19 and he was 21. He was the first one that took me out on a date and didn't expect me to sleep with him. Mm. I wasn't used to being treated good. Mm-hmm. That I turned around and I became what had been done to me. Mm-hmm. And instead of treating him the way he should have been treated, I treated him like I had been treated. And so let me just, so I've got this straight. All the ways you had been treated, you were so hurt and angry about that, that you were going to take it out on this person that really in a way, in a way in the past, you hadn't had the power and people took their, they hurt you. And so now you had someone that you seemed to have the power who was really into you and was kind. And so you were going to take all your anger and pain out on him. Is that what you're saying? Sounds about right, yeah. Okay, so you did it then, if I'm hearing you correctly, in part because you could, and he presumably tolerated it because he's still with you, even though you guys uh, took some time in a divorce off. Um, You did it because you could, um, and also because you couldn't control. Because on one hand, it's illogical. Why the hell would I be mean to the very person who's finally fucking nice to me? Right. I've been asking myself that question so much. All right, so I'm going to run a couple ideas by you. Um, and I get it, this whole idea of you've got this sort of softer person and nicer person than anyone you've ever had before. And and why the hell would I beat up on him? Well, it's like the, like, you know, back in the 50s, there's that old sort of saying, you know, the guy gets yelled at by his boss. And so he comes home, you know, yells at his wife, punches his kid and kicks his dog, right? It's all misplaced anger, hurt, 
right? So in a way, yes, it was misplaced. I mean, he's the nice guy. Why are you hurting him? And I'm sure his head was spinning. It's like, what did I do? What did I do? And he's trying to be nice. Right. He he has told me that that has gone through his head several times. Oh, I'm sure. Honestly, listening to Faith, I it was like listening to him. I'll bet. Like everything that, that she said, he has said to me. And and um, Amanda, how old are you, if I may ask? Uh, I am 33. 33. Okay. Um, <laughs> and uh, you two have been together how long? For a total, it, uh, we got together in 2010, so roughly about 13 years. Okay, so since Because even when we were separated, mm-hmm. we saw each other on a regular basis. They, you, we right. still talked. We, we had kids together. So, right, you had to. Okay, uh, so. We, we, co- we co-parented for, very well. Hmm. Well, that's good. You weren't in immediate proximity, and you could sort of, you guys can work together, clearly, it sounds like. And we're trying to answer this question of why you were so fucking cruel to your uh, husband, and when he was such a nice guy, and you said because he was different, I'm going to give a couple of ideas for why you may have done that, and then I want you to go with one that sort of resonates with you most, kind of when I was talking to Faith about the things, about her feelings. Um, so one was the idea that finally you had someone you could beat up on. So I was bullied, I'm going to bully you now. I'm going to go home, you know, yell at the wife, punch the kid, and, and kick the dog. Okay, the theory two is that you were testing him. That somewhere deep inside of you, I'm going to do, I don't believe that he really loves me. I don't believe that I can depend on it because, you know, all men are pigs or everyone hurts me and I know he's going to hurt me. So I'm going to keep trying to hurt him. I'm going to keep pushing him away because I'm testing if he really wants me. Um, And so I'm sure he's going to leave. So I'm going to make it happen sooner than I'm going to push him away before he can push me away. I'm going to hurt him before he can hurt me. That's So that's theory number two. And theory number three is... The fear that, you know what, if I show him who I really am, how broken I really am and how much I hate myself or whatever it might be, how insignificant I am, I'm sure he'll leave me. So I'm not going to show him anything. I'm just going to be this brute um, so that, you know, he won't see the real me. So of, of those theories, which one or ones resonate most? Or maybe it's all of it or maybe it's none of them. Mostly number two. That you are testing him. I believe so. I- kind of a test and I think it was a lot of pushing him away so that I didn't get hurt. Pushing him away so that I didn't get hurt. And I guarantee you, you have just said the magic word that a whole lot of people listening to this show right now are like, oh my God, that's so me. Men and women and non-binaries, there are plenty of people who push someone away so that you won't get hurt. Okay. And now, why is it, if you two are together, why is it that you're feeling the word you said, loneliness, that your pain of loneliness has finally gotten, how are you lonely? If you guys are together, what, what does that mean? How can you possibly be lonely? He hasn't pushed you away. What, what are you talking about? There, it's the fear of loneliness of losing him and the kids. Um, and if you lost him and the kids, is that the security you're talking about? You said, in the emotional affair, I became so detached I want to leave him and the kids behind, but also didn't want to leave the security behind. What precisely? Are we talking about financial security or just the security of knowing you have someone here who will endure all of your bullshit and still love you or the security of, you know, two people and one home and the kids? Or When you use the word security, what really are you talking about? All of that. Okay. The financial, somewhere to live. And which, uh, which one is the biggest? Is it the financial? Is it the somewhere to live? Is it the, you know, uh, you got someone who will endure your shit? What is the biggest of all those reasons for you personally? Depends on what time period we were talking about. We're talking about that right was, now. We're talking right about right now. now. Having somebody there to listen to uh, either like a hug when I'm having a bad day. Uh, when we were separated, uh, he kept primary primary custody of the boys. Okay. Um, and we wanted so, to keep them in the um, school district they were in, and mm-hmm. I moved in with another family member, which took me out of the school district. So the security now is having someone there, but the security then, the reason you didn't leave back then, the primary security was what? Finances. Finances. So even though you didn't want him, you stuck around to take basically his money 
and take advantage of the fact that he was taking care of you financially. So you stayed for his money. Is that correct? Sounds about right. Even though I was the one that was working, he was receiving disability and it was still the breadwinner. Okay. I am so grateful for your honesty, Amanda, and you too, Faith. And we're going to dive further in with more to come right now. Let's take a quick break. I'll be right back. You've heard Sven talk a lot about his book, There's a Hole in My Love Cup. And that's because Sven hears from his followers a lot about how much the book has helped them. If you're not sure how to handle the issues getting in the way of a better life, you're not alone. And you have a lot of choices. But thousands of readers will tell you that this is a great place to start. By yourself and at your own pace. So go to badasscounseling.com and order There's a Hole in My Love Cup. And you'll have Sven right there with you as you forge your best future. It's totally badass. So get started today. This show provides soul counseling intended to entertain and inform and is not medical advice. Now, back to the badass. And we are back with the Badass Counseling Show. We've got Amanda and Faith. Faith, I'm going to flip back over to you here. I want to ask you, If you were to be totally honest, like as honest as Amanda has been, and I know you have been up till now, Faith, so I'm not saying you haven't been, but if you were to be totally honest, Faith, what feelings do you have when you hear Amanda talk like this and say these things? I feel sad for her. Hmm. I feel sad that um, I, my feelings are that she needs to be loved. (laughs) Um, isn't that fascinating? I I think she's afraid. Isn't it fascinating that you can sit back having been cheated on, having your trust betrayed, having a person make you feel so unimportant, not enough and insignificant to remind you of your insignificant by going and cheating with someone else. Isn't it fascinating that you can have that experience with Phil, with your husband and now listen to someone Who's done that? And we don't know the extent of, you know, Phil's infidelities. But here we are with Amanda saying it, she wasn't just unfaithful. Did some really cruel shit. And yet you're feeling sympathetic. You're feeling empathetic towards Amanda. I didn't expect that response, Faith. Yeah, I I guess it's easier. She's not my partner. <laughs> right, right, right. <laughs> didn't do it to me. So I can... Um, empathize with her and and even feel some of it in myself like right now I feel like I really am pushing Phil away to see if he's going to stay to see if he really loves me Mm. um so I I can relate to that well and and see this really then is the question and you bring this up in your paragraph I'm going back to uh, you know, the, the things that I read, I am really struggling with the deep pain and afraid to trust anything he says because of all the lying and my own fears of rejection and abandonment. We're both working on your video program. He was on your podcast. I'm hoping you can help with my recovery. When you say my recovery and you mm-hmm. say you're struggling with the deep pain, of course you are. Um, my question is your recovery, what do you want that recovery to look like? Or is that part of the problem? You don't even know what you want in this situation. Or do you? I do know what I want. I want to um, get past the pain. I want to stop feeling angry at him. I want to stop. Why? I'm trying hard, but I feel like I lash out at him because he's the reason I feel this way. Okay, and why do you want to stop being angry at him? I know that sounds like a dumb question, but it's an honest question. Why? Because I want him to have a chance to heal too, and I don't want to hinder him from that, and then Mm -hmm. us together. Wait a minute, wait a minute. Okay, Uh, so you believe your anger at him is keeping him from healing? I do. Why why would your anger keep him from healing? I just don't feel like it's constructive. Um... Okay. To make him constantly feel guilty. I don't, I, I we, okay. we need to move beyond that. Okay. So we're talking really about two different things. One, you having the feelings of anger. Yeah, nothing, I'm angry. Nothing wrong with that. 
And right. if you weren't angry in this situation when someone has cheated on you, uh, you're how old and how long have you been married, Faith? Please. I'm 60. Uh, I just turned 60. Um, and you've been together with been, him how long? We've been together 14 years, and this will be our, in September, will be our 10th wedding anniversary. Right. So if you weren't angry when you've been with someone for 14 years, and um, if you weren't hurt and angry, that would be worse because that indicates you're not allowing yourself to feel your authentic feelings. But being angry and taking it out on the person, and I'm not saying you're, I'm not condemning you for taking it out on him, all right? That's totally understandable, but being angry yeah. is something different because it's yeah. okay to be angry and allow your feelings, yet also right. if it's your desire to not hurt him at times, you can draw the distinction there. But the goal is to pull up all of those feelings of anger and to pull up all of the hurt and to keep flushing and to have avenues for that, that if it's your desire to not inflict pain on him, well, you can do both simultaneously. A little tricky at times, uh, but it, it's very, very doable. And uh, I guess I thought I heard you say then is, you know, for me to heal, for him to be able to heal and for us to heal the relationship. Did I hear you on that? Or did I heal together? Yeah. Heal yeah, together. So, so you want, you've, you've determined you want to stay with him. Yeah, absolutely. And you, but do. have it, but you've, and, and if that's what you choose, God bless you. It's your life. You get to live it your way. But what's fascinating is, is that you have made that decision before he has exhibited that he has actually changed. Um, he, well, this is the first time he's really wanted to change. He, um, wait a minute, the first time, but he's only cheated once. So what are we talking about? The first time, I mean, the first time he's even shown that he wants to change as a person in like to feel better about himself. Okay. His statement he made to me the other day was, um, this is the first time in a relationship that he's worked this hard to try and fix himself so that we can have a better marriage and a better life. Okay, and and that's wonderful. God bless. If somebody's trying to fix, you know, God bless him, but he says he's trying to fix. But have we actually seen results in change of character? There was this unconscionable, massive breach of trust that mm -hmm. he chose, he made a choice. And he's saying he is trying more than he's ever tried, right? you know, and that could be big, or it could be he's literally never ever tried at all ever in a past relationship. And so him even, you know, considering the thought of going to therapy is like a massive step for him, even though it's really a non-step at all. So I guess what I'm getting at, he's trying, but have we actually seen any changes in character and action over an extended period of time. Because he took 14 years and he fucking blew it up. Yeah. He blew it up. And so yeah. I guess what I am what I get at with people who've been cheated on is, have they actually changed over time? The only way you are going to trust, see right now he's selling promises. And the only way that trust is regained, all of those bricks have to be relayed one mm -hmm. by one. And it sounds like you're wanting to jump in. You've made a decision. I want to stay with him, even though you haven't seen a change in his character. So you're rolling the dice based on a promise. Yeah. So I am for the first time um, also really speaking up about my needs ah. and what I expect and how I expect to be treated. And um, how does that I'm feel? Not... How does that feel? It feels good. <laughs> Is it a little scary? Um, yeah, of course, because am I going to be heard? <laughs> mm. Well, okay, I want to stop you right there because you ask it as a question, am I going to be heard? And see, this yeah. is what's going to determine whether or not the changes in him stick. In a way, if I'm being really honest, it's not up to him. It's up to you, Faith. The real question isn't whether or not he's changed, it's whether or not you've changed and whether or not your changes stick. Because what so often happens in is that people can change their behaviors, but trying to change your behaviors never changes behaviors long term. Until you go down to the core beliefs that drive those behaviors, that person will revert or 99% likelihood. And when he does revert, if he does revert, whether it's a, a day, a week, a month, or a six months or a year, that's the moment when we determine whether or not you have changed. Because the reverts start slowly and you have to catch them. You have to hold them accountable. 
And so when I'm when I'm coaching or counseling uh, young women or young men, let's say, or young non-binaries in their, let's say, teens or 20s, I'm telling them, or anybody who's starting dating in a new relationship or a potential relationship, you have to catch that stuff when it's small. Because it's not narcissism when it happens once. It's not uh, selfishness when it happens once. Because I can nip it in the bud and not allow it. It's a pattern of narcissistic behavior. It's a pattern of extreme taking when I allow it to happen more than once or more than twice. And that's on me. How someone is treating me that doesn't feel good. Red flags become huge problems in relationships when I don't stop the red flag. So what needs to happen with you, Faith, is that if you're not changed, he's gonna slide back a little bit and a little bit and a little bit. And that's on you to short circuit that, to not allow that. Does that make any sense? Oh yeah, it does. I Yeah. But what? How do I do that? <laughs> ah, right. And, and the answer to that question is you have to bring up all of your authentic feelings and not race towards fixing the relationship at the expense of flushing out all of your pain and allowing your pain. You said, and, I, and I'm getting to you, Amanda, don't think you're safe over there. I'm teasing you, but I'm coming to you in a second. You said, we're trying to work on things, but I'm really struggling with the deep pain and afraid to trust, listen to this, and afraid to trust anything he says, which mm -hmm. says to me, he's saying things. What sort of things yeah. is he saying? Well, mostly he's saying that he needs to fix himself. He needs to work on himself. And, and is that hard to trust? Um, I mean, he's never done it in a relationship before, so it sounds really cool, but is it yeah. hard to trust? Well, yeah, because I he doesn't really know how. Do you feel like he's putting, you know. in, other than the words, do you feel like he's actually putting in any effort? Like, oh, I don't know, finding a therapist? He's been looking for a therapist um, that we can't find one available that we can afford, Um or not even afford. There's no one even available. Mm. Um, that's and then that's why. So he's you know we found you and he ordered the um, the videos. So he's working that. I'm working that. He's reading a lot, but he's desperate. He's desperate to find somebody. He wants to to get in there. He feels like it's not enough to just read. Right, and so, he needs to be doing the same things that you're doing, first of all. Yeah. All of his feelings and his pain that caused him and feeling unloved and wanting more love and wanting to basically have his cake and eat it too, that goes yeah. all the way, way back there. I want to flip it over you to you, Amanda. Uh, what does it feel like hearing uh, Faith talk or what thoughts did you have as she was talking about, you know, her unwillingness and or inability to trust and you know, her wanting to repair it so soon, but also not really having seen any significant evidence of long-term change and so forth. What are your thoughts and feelings on what Faith was saying? I've heard them before hmm. from my own partner. His name is Danny. And uh, a lot of what she's saying, he has said to me. Doesn't know if he and can trust you, that sort of thing? Yep. Mm -hmm. Or anything that I say or tell him. Heard that several times. And I have even uh, said to him that I need to fix myself. I need to dig down, get in there. There's a lot to uncover. There's, uh, I'm realizing there's chunks of like my childhood that I do not remember. Um, almost all of my first grade and second grade, I don't remember any of it except for like little itty bitty pieces why do you think it is that those two particular grades you don't remember except for itty bitty pieces why those you didn't say fifth and sixth grade you didn't say uh shit all of middle school you said you know those two grades why those two i'm still working on that because it, it's me going through where pain and certain things started and happened. Oh, um, so you're saying like, something started in what first, second grade? Is that what you're basically? I know implying? for sure in in third grade. In third grade, um, my mm. 
my bullying, I, I started getting really heavily bullied in school. And what were you bullied um, for? What what was the message you got? I mean, you weren't bullied for any reason. There's no justification for bullying. But what was the message you got in the bullying? What were the words or what did you feel and all of that? My hair was weird. And kids are mean. <laughs> they are mean. That's right. Uh, my hair is naturally curly. Uh-huh. I grew up in a tiny little farm town that I am fairly certain most people are racist. And my hair resembles... Um, African-American hair. Okay. It, it's frizzy. It's curly. Mm-hmm. It made me different than all the other girls. Mm-hmm. So you were called racist names is what you're saying. In sixth grade, I was. I had one boy. Um, he called me Afro. Okay. Um, third grade, it was curly fries and ketchup. And let me ask you, just out of curiosity, so you know some real shit started in third grade, and you said it really mm-hmm. tracks to your hair and, uh, you know, and, and that wouldn't cause any child, of course, to feel insecure and feel like I'm ugly. And the, the woman I'm with, she talks about how when she was a kid, you know, she was teased, you know, by family members, you know, her hair is a hornet's nest and or a rat's nest and all this stuff, curly hair, right? Um, and uh, how traumatic that was. And that's totally understandable. What I'm wondering is, so that's the school message that you're getting from the mean kids. What were the messages that you got about yourself at home, whether before that or during that? What were some things you recall? Um, I know a lot of it was I didn't get a whole lot of attention from my parents. I am the sibling of a special needs Uh sibling. My, My brother has Down syndrome and autism and needed a lot of care. What I hear you sort of implying is that as a result, your brother, who I'm sure you love, immensely very much uh like a sort of golden child a special needs child can sometimes suck all the oxygen out of the room they get all the attention and it sounds like you were sort of the forgotten one or is that not accurate yes um i was allowed to just kind of run the neighborhood it was our town was very safe so i was able to just run and do whatever and what's the Um, message what's the message a child gets when a sibling is getting all the attention and i'm really not getting a lot what what is that what's the message you get about yourself or how does that make you feel but particularly message what did what were they really saying what's the underlying message i'm not wanted and what's the earliest that you can recall sort of whether you had words for it back then what's the earliest you recall sort of feeling that or feeling maybe you didn't even feel that but you felt yucky or felt unwanted and maybe it was that what's the earliest you recall feeling that eight years old, so roughly about third grade or so. Um, I know that's when I started acting out. I stopped doing my homework. And so you started feeling unwanted at home. Uh, how old were you when your brother was born? I'm two. You were two. Uh, and mm-hmm. so he had been sucking all the oxygen out of the room, um, you know, unintentionally. I mean, come on, he's a special needs kid. It's, <laughs> we're not, I'm not blaming your brother in any way whatsoever. So I don't want no. to, okay, good. I'm <laughs> not glad. at all. Oh, good. I'm glad you're not feeling not at all. But he, he had been, mom and dad had been, failing at giving you enough attention since you were two since you know your brother was born why are you only now at eight acting out or why is it not until eight that you felt unwanted hadn't you felt unwanted i mean clearly it grew over time but why did it not hit until eight years old that's where i'm wondering if it didn't hit sooner with me not being able to remember first and second grade and those ones i know that my biological father I don't talk to him anymore. Mm-hmm. He is an asshole. Mm-hmm. I know he tried. He would do. He tried. I, I think he tried to make me the son that he didn't really get. His my older half brother mm-hmm. wasn't very interested in what my dad or our biological father was interested in. And so you got attention from your biological father up until my parents divorced when I was ten. And then he moved out of state when I was 12. All right. So uh, your brother's born at two. You're roughly getting, you start getting the message that you're less important. They're devoting more and more attention to your brother or potentially all or most of the attention to your brother. And that starts two, three, four. And it has to hurt. You're feeling, you go home 
and you, no one is there to receive you and hear about your day and, oh, come here, sweetheart, show me your books and let's talk and tell me about your day. And you weren't getting any of that. And so that's going on now for six years. So you get to eight years old and that's your first uh, recollection of feeling not wanted, yet it's simultaneously when you're getting teased in school, right, for your hair. Is that correct? Mm-hmm. Okay. And it was, um, according to my mom, that was also about the time. Um, because I was so young, I couldn't maintain my own hair. Mm-hmm. It, it was very long. And so it's um, also, according to your so mom, it was, it's also about the time what? Um, it was up to my biological father to, you know, comb out my hair, and he wasn't. So I got a ba- football size knot mat in the back of my head. Accor- is this according to your mom? Are we still on according to your mom or is this an actual memory yes. of yours? Okay, according to your mom. Um, you- I remember my hair getting cut off. I do remember that. And she presumably blamed your biological dad. Is that what you're saying? Yes. Okay. And how does that sort of play into this? Um, is Did that happen at eight years old? You got all your hair cut off? Uh, yeah, it got cut. It was like down to the middle of my back and then it went up to right below my ears. Down to the middle of my back and then right below my ears. Okay. And so that happened, right? So that's when you started getting teased for your hair? Because mm-hmm. it got frizzier and uh, it was, it, with it even being short, it was hard to maintain. Uh huh. And when th- this happens, then. Um, your mom blames your biological father, even though you are all living under the same roof. And if there were a hair not developing or small, you would think a mother, a parent would see that sooner, wouldn't you? You would think. Okay. Um, and my mom went to work in the mornings, mm-hmm. so it, it was okay up to him to kind of get me ready for the day, get me off to school and, and so, such like that. Uh, and it's interesting. Okay. And uh, it was on him, and he presumably dropped the ball according to your mother. You preface that story with according to your mother. I guess what I'm getting at is which hurt more, that you were not getting attention at home and felt unwanted at home or that you were getting bullied at school? Which hurt more? Not getting the attention because then they didn't hear me when I tried to tell them about the bullying. That's right. That's right. And at one point, I think it was roughly about junior high that I really went to my mom saying that I wanted to change schools. Mm -hmm. And I know more than likely, you know, it wasn't possible because, Mm -hmm. you know, mortgages and I know these things now, but at the time she wasn't even hearing that, like the reason why I wanted to move. So she didn't even hear your pain. She was indifferent to and tuning out of your pain. And that was in a way confirmation of the messages you had been getting the whole time that really you don't matter. You're not wanted. I don't even see you. You could have a giant knot in the head of your hair and I won't even see it because basically I don't give a shit. I don't even fucking see you, kid. Not wanted. Is it any fucking wonder that you cheated? And I'm not excusing your cheating. And I and I don't hear no, I don't not at all. and I don't hear you excusing it either. But isn't it interesting that one of the core messages that got pressed into the wet cement of your soul wasn't just by the bullies at school that you're unwantable because look at your hair, freak, your hornet's nest, you you know all, all sorts of bad words. But you were getting that message at home from the most powerful people in your life. So from a very young age, as early as two, three, four, and a couple of years where you have no memories, that's where probably the most pain was, and your brain is blocked it out, and that's where it had begun to really reach ahead. And then such that at age eight, you're acting out. Why do children act out? Why do children get in trouble if they know something's bad? Because every child wants positive attention. And if I can't get positive attention, I'll settle for negative attention, getting yelled at or whatever. Well, why would a child want negative attention? Because negative attention beats the living shit out of no attention. Because no attention says, I don't see you, you don't matter, you're insignificant. And I did a lot. I got I got in trouble a lot. <laughs> of course you did. But at least you were getting attention. And then maybe if I got in trouble, then mom and dad would come bail me out and prove then by bailing me out or at least looking at me and yelling at me that they actually want me. They may be mad, but at least they're wanting. They're showing up, picking me up or uh, what have you. I want to flip it back to you here, Faith. This You hear the insignificance message that she's getting growing up. 
Yeah. What do you? What's going on inside you? And when do you first recall getting a message of insignificance, of your insignificance, or your being not wanted, or what's going on inside of you? And where might there be origins of the messages you got? I'm trying to fit. I I don't know when I started feeling that way. Um, Spitball it. Spitball it. And when do you think you might have started feeling that way? Twelve. 12. And why 12? Why not nine? Why not uh, 15? Why, why 12? Nothing wrong the with 12. 12. It's just an interesting choice. I, it's just the first memory I have of um, kind of being abandoned, I guess. My, What's the my memory? Mom, my mom left. Wow. For a while. Um, she was an alcoholic. She was, I guess I'd say the town whore. <laughs> She cheated on my dad all the time through their whole 12-year marriage. Mm. She, you know, just real partier. Um, so she left. And I'm I'm not even sure how long it was. Um, eventually, she came back and got us and took us, moved us out of state, you know, away from my dad. Boy, you talk about striking fear into the heart of a child. Your mom leaves and walks out the door. It could be the dad if you have a loving father. It could be mom, a loving mother. But to have your own mother turn her back and walk out on you, the egregious, enormous amount of pain. And, and to feel like my mother doesn't love me. And I'm alone now. And the amount of sadness... And to feel like nothing. And in a way, life stops. Mm-hmm. <laughs> no and then way. I had to watch my dad, you know, cry. And, <laughs> and what, was um, your, what was your role uh, in watching your dad cry? Or what, what did you do? Or in seeing him being devastated and, and re- repeatedly devastated because she cheated yeah. on him repeatedly. But did you have a role uh, or what did you do when life was falling apart at home? It's hard to remember. I mean, later on I became his like, because I ended up moving back with him and I was like, not the wife, but I did, I was 12. I was doing all the cooking, cleaning. Um, so I kind of took care of him like I am now. <laughs> I took care of him. I just kind of yeah. took care of him. All right. Think about that. My sister took care of my mom. So we always had to take care of our parents. Okay. Think about what you just said. Think about now, uh, Faith, uh, just so I'm clear, you do or do not have children? I do. And how old I are your have, children? Uh, my oldest, my daughter's 40. My middle son is 36 and my youngest is 34. Have your children, have you ever expected uh, your children to take care of you? No. I think I tried harder to overtake care of them. And why is that? Why did you not depend upon them and expect them to take care of you? Why is that? Because it's not their job. Ah. So you chose to parent differently from how you were parented because you dis- you disagreed with how you were parented. Yeah, I didn't have parents. Right. You had children. I mean, clearly at age 12, you had a child. You you may as well have gotten pregnant and had a child because you basically did. Yeah. Right. And I took care of him. So then is it, just out of curiosity though, to what degree, and it's kind of a fucked up question, but it's an honest question. To what degree were, was there any, sense of responsibility for taking care of the adults prior to that prior to age 12 maybe it wasn't cooking and cleaning were you in any way emotionally responsible for either one or both of the adults and maybe you weren't but I, I i'm just asking that's the part like i don't remember much until i was 10 but i have an aunt my mom's youngest sister was 12 when i was born and she has told me a lot and <laughs> she would come and visit and find us you know, alone, and my mom would have taken off with, you know, screwing the guy down the street. I don't know. Um, so we were alone a lot, and she would take me to the beach, and I would, I'd scream and not want to go home. 
Because and I don't remember that. Because I, does she say why what you would scream when you were why you didn't want to go home? No, and she always says there's you know stuff that she'll tell me someday. <laughs> Well, for fuck's sake, Auntie. I mean, now's the time. I'm 60. I'm 60 years exactly. old. Exactly. I think someday yeah. <laughs> arrived about 20 fucking years ago or 30. Yeah. Um, but isn't it reasonable to assume that if you're at the beach screaming, I don't want to go home, isn't it reasonable to assume that you're having fun at the beach, you've got your auntie and you're playing and so forth, and home just re represents this cavernous silence and aloneness? Isn't that a reasonable assertion? Yeah, it is. Right. Yeah. And And-, and Go ahead. Yeah. Um, I, I think I grew up in constant, I was afraid all the time. Of course you were. And, yeah. Of course you were. And because when you're alone at home and you said, I grew up, so that's even before age 12 and mom leaving. I mean, think about it. What do parents represent? You know, Maslow's hierarchy of needs, the very first thing that the parent brings is warmth. That is the core need, and then protection, food, etc. But warmth in its own way represents protection from cold, which will kill a baby, right? So the first uh, need of the human animal is protection. And so mom's gone, dad's out, gone, whatever, and mom leaves to go be the town whore or do whatever, party girl, you're not protected. Of course, you're going to feel right. unsafe. Of course, you're going to be afraid and emotionally afraid as well because I'm alone, that feeling of aloneness. Yeah. And so doesn't it make sense then that the message being pressed into that child's, in the cement, wet cement of that child's soul is the world is a scary place. I can't bear to be alone. I feel so small and insignificant. My own mother left me but in the big old scary world, I'm small and insignificant. And I'm just not enough. And I'm unimportant. All of those messages that you feel in relationships were patterned right there. It only makes way back there. And it only makes sense then that you would choose relationships that are familiar. Because I know how to exist in this environment where I am insignificant and I'm giving and I'm taking care of, since age 12, I'm taking care of. You had to take care of yourself prior to that. No one was taking care of you. You were home alone. You had to take care of yourself emotionally. And then by 12, your identity became to take care of mm -hmm. and others, adults, right? Yeah. So it only makes sense that you would be in situations now where you're taking care of, taking care of, and where you are terrified of abandonment, rejection, and insignificance. It makes total sense. Amanda, back to you. Let me ask you then, this not wanted, what do you think it would take for you, you, you talk about your feelings of feeling not wanted in your own home, and then getting it, it, it those feelings being exacerbated at school by being bullied and so on and so forth. What do you think it would take for you to go into those memories and begin to allow those painful memories and all those feelings that that wonderful little girl had and that she tucked away because it wasn't safe for her to express those feelings. What do you think it would take for you to go back in, in there and allow those feelings to come up and begin to get them out of you? Well, I, I'm already working on that. Are you? Tell I, me. I've, I've been working through your book. Um, Great. I take it. I take it to work and read it. Um, are you doing the exercises? Are you doing the exercises in the book or not yet? Kind of out of order. No, that's fine. <laughs> that's fine. Um, I've been bouncing around. Uh, the journaling is the hard part for me because, because I am scared. I'm, I'm terrified of, of what I'm going to find. Right. And, then, um, and, and so why are you doing it? If it's so scary, why the fuck are you doing it? Young lady. Because I do not want to be the cruel person that I have been. Yeah. I want to be a better mother for my kids. Yeah. I do not want to cause them the same trauma that right. I have. Right. And so that means you're going to have to, even if it's bit by bit, that takes courage, bit by bit. But yeah, you're right. Because that shit, that shit, that message of I'm not wanted, a child's brain will very easily convert I'm not wanted into I'm not wantable. 
See, and, and we can see how they would do that. I know when I get rejected sometimes by a, a friend or in my life by a, you know, a woman I might be with or in a job, you know, it's so easy to go from, well, they clearly don't want me. Well, what's wrong with me? What did I do? What, what am I doing wrong? I'm unwantable, right? So for that a child's brain would convert I'm not wanted to I'm unwantable, it's totally logical, right? And so we see in those, in, in those early memories all those strong feelings, and that hurts for a child to believe they're unwantable and unwanted, they suck or they don't matter. That's powerful stuff. And yeah, the truth is the only thing that's going to compel you really to go in and have the courage to do that is your own pain of loneliness and to know you're fucking up not just a wonderful man and a marriage you have, you're fucking up your security, but most importantly, or just as importantly, you're fucking up your kids. Yeah. Yeah. I have so many arguments with my oldest that it it's exhausting and we will yell and scream at each other. And uh, sadly it is exactly like yelling at myself yeah. because he's, my oldest is so much like me. And how much of your yelling at your oldest is because you are defending, deflecting, dodging, denying uh, all the shit that you've done or that you are not providing uh, attention, affection, acceptance, acknowledgement, approval, and apology. How much of it is that you're not owning your shit? Probably 100%. All right. All the more incentive to go inside and do the shit work that you are so scared of. At some point, you know, it. at some point you got to have the courage because the truth is if you're not ready yet, and this is the really bad news, if you're not attacking that stuff inside and really allowing it to come out and reliving it and at least welcoming it and flushing it out and journaling, if you're not doing that yet, the bad news is your pain is going to get worse, Amanda. And the pain it, it, that you're experiencing now is what you're doing to your kids and also your loneliness. Your loneliness is going to increase. Your alienation from your kids is going to increase. They are going to push you further away. Why? Because you're hurting them. You're not hearing them. You're making them feel unwanted. You're defending yourself at the expense of them. Kind of like Faith's father. You got to serve me at age 12. You got to serve me at age 20, even though I'm the fucking adult. And now you're the one doing it. And I'm not saying you're a bad person, okay? I'm just saying there's work to do. And I, the mere fact that you even came on this show put that stuff in writing and stood here and talked about it, um, that shows good faith. And I believe that the more you continue to really dive in and allow that stuff out, I believe if you continue to go in with that, that desire to change and that courage, I really believe not only you can, but you will. I know you can. I do this shit with clients all the time. And I know you can change, but you got to want it bad enough. And uh, that's the daily challenge. Ladies, I want to thank you so much for being on the show. You've both just been amazing. And what a fascinating thing to see the cheating from both sides, in both cases coming from a woman and in both on each side of the equation. I want to thank you so much for being on the show. Thank you for having us. Thank you. You're, you're welcome. Uh, Rob, any thoughts on today's show? Cheating is as cheating does. And what do you mean by that? Well, the effect it has, it's like an echo chamber. It just has reverberating effects. Uh, it's just, it's unpredictable and it's, it's always, uh, it's always a problem. And yeah, destructive. And, and yet today we saw the pain that it inflicts. We saw the pain that is driven by, and we see once again that we can track the threads of being cheated on and all that feels and the threads of doing the cheating, the threads, the threads, the origins go way, way back. And it, those are the memories and the feelings that being cheated on or cheating conjures up. It goes way back to the insignificance, the not feeling wanted, not feeling unwantable, feeling alone, all of that stuff. Yeah, I get it. And you are the expert too. Hardly, hardly. I literally wrote the book. Well, that I did. Um, <laughs> and so I want to thank all of our listening audience. What a great show it's been. I want to thank our two guests, Amanda and Faith, wonderful guests. On behalf of KC in the booth and Rob the Rocket next to me, thank you so much for tuning into this episode of the Badass Counseling Show. We air 
uh, fresh episodes of counseling episodes every Thursday and lightning round episodes every Sunday. Thank you so much and have a kick-ass day. The Badass Counseling Show is strictly copyrighted. No copies may be made without the express written consent of the Badass Counseling Show, LLC. The Badass Counseling Show is produced by Karen Camparelli and Robert H. Friedman. Executive producer, Sven Erlinson. Original music by two-time Emmy Award-winning composer, Trevor Morris. Have a kick-ass day. Kick-ass day.